tried to hold you tightly by my side when all is crashing down. All right, mate. So, aye, it's been a couple of weeks, eh? Helena, I think was the last one we did. Mm. Um, mixture of circumstance, and I mean, obviously, when you go every week, there's going to be weeks where it just doesn't happen. You know what I mean? And thankfully, they're few and far between. But I, but I think we're about two or three weeks since we actually caught up. Maybe like a week since we put anything out. Um, I'm getting some fucking cracking feedback for the shorts, man. I mean. Uh, ah, a, few, nice. a few DMs and stuff after people. Um, but I, I, I think sometimes when you're talking about mental health, when I watched stuff, it back, there was definitely some of your more controversial shit that you cut out, which which is quite surprising. Aye, I think it was I don't think anything else was I, particularly con- yeah, controversial. I didn't want to trigger people, but I think when you're talking about mental health, like, and we we were talking we were talking quite a lot when we were, were setting up the studio there, mm-hmm. like things are very specific to people, and when you talk about it in general terms, it Aye. can annoy certain Absolutely. people uh, it was, it's it's good to hear people like really be like oh, I really enjoyed that with like Mel so we'll, need to, we'll definitely need uh, the feedback on the channel was quite was quite good as well um, obviously one of the other reasons for it we touched on it in a couple of recent episodes obviously my sort of poor mental health for the last sort of fortnight or so obviously I've just been trying to take some action so you know unfortunately this wasn't priority number one in a lot of senses so I think I a mixture of two but we're, we're back to it we've got some good guests lined up for the next couple of weeks like I am absolutely like choking to get into like the disinformation stuff with the academics we've got booked up Um I think that's going to be a lot of well fun it's probably no the word for everybody else but I mean I've been like <laughs> in about it for like quite a few weeks now Um and obviously, I think the last time we spoke, I'd said that, you know, I'd just kind of really started discovering, like, YouTube is, like, an actual content provider rather than just somewhere where I go to Google something when it's broke, how do I fix it? Or, like, watching Cunts Foyer or whatever, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Like, um, and I started watching, I watched a couple of lectures on, you know, the rise of disinformation and, you know, quote-unquote fake news, which we're just going to throw in in the episode or the show because anybody who's an expert on this field absolutely despises and I mean like viscerally despises the term sort of fake news uh-huh. um, so we might have a bit of fun with that down the line um, I'm, I've got so many <clears throat> questions that I'm just not going to ask because we need to leave it for the episode ah, but surely totally. that's got to do with the Trump Association because I think it is aye. Right. There's, there's, there's a lot of that in there um, it's no I think a lot of time it's not really accurate as well because you know as we'll get into it like the disinformation is its strongest when it's no fake when it has an element of truth and that's why people buy into it that's why it fucks with people is because mm. proper disinformation is an element of truth but it's like fake news you would assume it's all nonsense and that's probably where maybe part of the gripe comes in but again we'll get it down the line um we've obviously got um another guest as well who has written the book checkpoint on the effects of uh, gaming on mental health after the, after the back of one of the shots i'm quite interested to get into that one um i need to absolutely because it's it's one of the things that and i, I don't know if, if i, I kind of i touched on it in the shot but I've always assumed that gaming's a bad thing. It's one yep. of the unproductive things that you can do just to waste time. And and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to having a, a counterpoint on that, that, you know, maybe as Definitely. much as we, 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 your counterpoint, but like the Minecraft and stuff like that, and I was like, I now when I think about it, I, actually, it, it can be cathartic. Mm-hmm. I'd like some science, just, yep. just like to, to hear where the, where the science is. Absolutely. It. I mean, one of the other things on YouTube I discovered is a lot of these sort of streamers, I, I, what I didn't give them credit for is like I, I've got into watching like hours of people streaming Daisy 
because it's just a pure open world experience survivor thing and it's just really interesting right, to so me. It's, Daisy. it's, um, it's a zombie survival thing where the online co-op mode is just a big open world map and people build bases and they do raids and they fight each other and it's all about scavenging and building and like people actually like and this is one of the benefits that i really want to get into when we speak about gaming merd online is that real communities have popped up around this so like something that i again was very dismissive like oh fuck some pleb streaming to like a couple hundred people about you know football manager or zombie games or whatever the fuck it is mm -hmm. when in actual fact they're like real like tight-knit communities that are actually pop up around about these and i think those because we've always talked about the benefits of community uh, and being involved in your community when you know, like maybe doing service and these types of things to actually help improve your mental health or how you just feel in general. And those communities are something I've, I've kind of discovered through this process. Um, but on the sort of t wider technology side of things, like I have got like pure super into like some of the futurism shit, like the right. off the back of like gaming and disinformation and like the algorithm is now taking me down, you know, various rabbit holes. But like you're listening to Grimes and... Getting, getting a job for Elon Musk. I uh, know. Yeah, like, I don't really want to go anywhere near Elon Musk because I'm already fighting the odds to be a Bond villain most of the time anyway. You know what I mean? Like, um, but no, so I seen a thing where a guy was talking, some one of these lectures again, it just skipped on. And he was talking about, I can't remember the, like transhumanism, right? right. Um, and I don't know, we, we spoke previously, I think, about Project 2040 five there's like a ukrainian sort of russian oligarch billionaire out there who's running it's basically a grant that is designed to encourage somebody to invent the technology to digitize a human brain right uh -huh. um, for 2045 this uh -huh. is his goal because he thinks this might be towards the end of his natural human lifespan and he wants to use all oh, this fucking money he's got to basically live forever uh -huh. um, because that's what the world needs is billionaires who live forever uh -huh. um i can't think of anything more we need um i don't this is, i mean do, do you need to be a billionaire to want to live forever because the idea of living forever terrifies me <laughs> I, I, one of the greatest solaces I've got in life is that one day I'll be dead. That's all <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that's, that, as much as we're laughing, you know, I don't, I'm no suicidal in any way, shape or form, but the idea yeah. that, this, that this life, that this life would be never ending is not a comfort to me. No. But there does seem to be this sort of, well, now we're getting into conspiracy theory, but there does seem to be this group of people that are trying to make themselves everlasting. Like, Aye. You know, this is a legit thing. This guy has, like, mm. prospectus and, you know, like, proper science people right. involved in trying to, like, digitise a downloadable version of a human brain that can then go into hardware. Um, and it kind of marries in with this other transhumanism stuff that I've seen where the, the lecture I've seen in particular was about a... Um, Guy Fay, I think it was DARPA, and they were, he was talking about how right. uh, like Ooh, DARPA. phone technology came through military, you know, touch screens, GPS, yeah. the all these, the, the internet, all these things came through like the military experimenting with technology. And what he was doing was basically showcasing what the next generation of things are and then discussing what sort of moral questions we need to answer before we really go and sort of fully explore this technology. And the example that he used was basically like a microchip that is implanted in like in somebody's brain. Right. And it was the, the guy that he'd used, I think was an army veteran who had been paralyzed for like the neck down in combat. Um, and the guy 
had been obviously, you know, really down and like depressed and suicidal and all these things and caught wind of this research and volunteered for it as a means to like make his situation mean something, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like help push forward humanity. And the story of the wee person was really nice. But essentially what they did was they put a chip in his brain that then allowed him to interact with like a robotic arm. And this doctor could shake hands with a robotic arm and the guy would feel, feel it. it. Because the actual Holy shit, man. he could sense touches the sensors in the robotic arm that he could then control, and he's just like drawing pictures. But a lot it's framed in like virtual worlds where at one point he was flying like a simulation of like a fighter jet, and the guy was doing like barrel rolls and all sorts of stuff, and like his body is getting something resembling the sensation of movement and touch and all these other things as a result. Right. So, like when he's doing that type of thing. Is that the chip directly connected to some sort of virtual thing, or is it connected to the arm that's controlling? So it can be either or. The, so there was examples right. in which there was an actual robotic arm where he was at one point he was physically shaking hands with like Barack Obama while he was president. Right. But then there was other footage they showed where they also used the chip to control virtual spaces and explore and you know fly planes and all these other things. Right. So where's where's my robotic penis? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can get you one. I'm sure we can get you one. It's pretty much non-existent. It may, it may as well be amputated. Like, right. But no, like, that's, I mean, I mean, we know, but I think we spoke about Neuralink and, and, and Elon Musk and, and his quest for this, but like you're saying, when, when DARPA get involved, shit tends to, like, really accelerate. Aye. Like, they've got, like, the government money. It's not just... Uh, well, think about the shit they were talking about was during the Obama presidency. So the, Obama was president while he was shaking robotic hands with us, paraplegic right. guy. So... What was that like? We're talking five, six, seven year ago uh -huh. at best. So think about where they are now. If that's where they were then, aye, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, and I, DARPA no involved with Boston, whatever they're called, that are doing the the robot. Well, I mean, almost certainly, like uh -huh. almost certainly. And this is where my brain started to like really wonder on it because we're in a space where there are people looking to find a way to digitally download and you know, institute somebody's consciousness uh, in sort of physical hardware. We have robotics that are at a fairly advanced level in certain respects, you know, that are up, they're running, they're, you know, we're all seeing the fucking dancing robots and it's like, hey, it's cool, and you're like, so like, what, Terminators can like... Well, what about New York? Did you, know you see mean? the footage for New York? Aye. With the fucking, the, the search, they went in with a search dog that was a robot and it looked like, I mean, the guy <laughs> the guy that was operating the fucking robot dog came out and looked like a, an absolute gimp in a fucking army helmet, but <laughs> it, it's kind of scary, man. It's like, it looked dystopian as fuck. Uh -huh. And I mean, you could think that in that particular instance, you could definitely see that like the residents were pure. What the fuck, the is, fuck is this? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I don't think that the recent episode of Black Mirror helps in that respect because one of those robot dogs, you know, hunts down the, the lassie for the UK version of Shameless, whose name escapes me right now, but she's a phenomenal actress. Um, and that is like one of the tensest sort of. 50 minutes of TV I think I've ever seen but um, it's kind of those questions that where my mind was wandered to because as I say we're, we're talking about downloading brains we now have entirely robotic bodies that are capable of really advanced movement um, we also have the ability now potentially for people to remotely interact you know with these devices and, and ideas through this sort of neuroscience and like 
Aye, it's no time to ask the question. They're like, so we can do it. Uh, like, where like, are we going with this? Like, should we do it? Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Aye, well, that's um, it. And that's I mean, not a lot of times we, when it comes to science, is there a, enough morality asked? And one of the, I mean, you're saying they're like consciousness. We don't even understand our, <laughs> the, the consciousness that we've got just now. Yeah. And we're already trying to digitize it. I suppose maybe if we digitize it, we'll, we'll understand it better. But I mean, that feels to me like we're gonna, we could end up fucking, I mean, with Superman 3, where the, the jail's like a mad hologram <laughs> that they trap people in and throw them into space. And you go in there and you just float about space for like 15 years and then you'll come back. Like, uh, is that what we're gone? I mean, we, we, well, I it it does seem scary, but that the other thing that I'm thinking is is that this is an inevitability. Like we, we could have been sitting here in '85, going, "Where are we going with this internet?" And oh, this is very dangerous. Aye. And it's like there's nothing that we can do to stop it. So you almost need to just go like that. Hope that the people that are actually involved in creating it have some sort of moral question of like what should we be doing with us? And I think largely when it comes to exploration and science, the answer is if we can do it, we're kind of obliged to do it in some respects. So I think, as you say, mm. somebody will take these steps to a, a more sort of natural conclusion, um, especially with like the way machine learning and AI and stuff like that is accelerating the problems that we can't think our way around are now being thought around by machines and on our behalf again, you know what I mean? Like, so mm. it's all like, I've been like deep in the rabbit hole on that one in the last right. week after, as I say, just that slide for like misinformation and whatever else we've been looking at to now, we've been like, holy fuck, like uh-huh. semi-conscious robots are going to come and fly planes and then chases and, you know, I, all the pure, well, I was thinking, like horrible I, things. Yeah, I was thinking, well, you, you don't need the remote control for the drone if your chip can just connect it and you can use like your motor skills to be like, I want the fucking plane to do this. And So this is the know, more it's... likely scenario that the guy for DARPA was explaining was that it's actually, and this is the way he explained how they intend to use it made me question, know that I don't already question the validity of any war or why we, why we do it, but like this even more so than ever was that the end goal seems to be to automate the war zone or any war zone remove so, human just like life uh, aerial right. drones uh-huh. and as you say robots that as you, you know are controlled by an infantry soldier's brain chip 600 miles away or whatever it is and i'm like i think that's probably the only way we could make war even more pointless than it already is is by having no physical stakes you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what Gies, or what I'm sure some would argue, Gies war, a level of meaning, is the sacrifices that people make to for ideas, for country, yeah, for, for family, for and, uh-huh. what they believe in yeah, at that absolutely. point in time. But what is the point in war where you've got two sides who are just basically sending robots or drones to attack each other? Pay-per-views, that's uh, a like, fucking point. Like, it's just robot wars. <laughs> right, it's just exactly. fucking, like, like, Charles sitting commentating BBC on World War III. going to be charging you, know you 25 like? quid to go and watch the Afghanistan conflict, and it's going to be like, <laughs> their, their robots are, are I mean, it, we're, we're making fun of it, but it, at the same time, like, even worse, it could be, like, humans on the other side and robots and... So uh, aye, know, that's a probably you know, aye. The, the places that we're currently in active conflict Cause let's don't seem to have the money. I was going to say, we don't, we don't tend to pick a lot of fights with countries that can afford robot armies mm-hmm. which you know and even then we still don't want an awful lot of them you know what i mean like, uh-huh. um but I, that would be the nightmare scenario is that you're rocking up to fight for whatever you believe in and somebody's got a, well, if, if a we, sea of robots if you look at the current 
sort of climate and stuff, can you imagine in, in 100% they will get it? Imagine Israel had robots <laughs> and they were literally guys with sticks and stones at the other side of the fucking, like, and they were just fucking, aye. I mean, that scares the life out of me. And to think about, like, robot police officers, if you look at what's going on just now, I think, like, what you were saying, like, was pointless. And I think the, the recent conflicts that we've got... I think more and more people are coming to that conclusion of like, what are we doing here? Like, as we get more information, and so this would just enable them to carry on their industry and their, and their industrial war complex, but without having to convince young men predominantly to like put their lives on the line mm. for fuck all. Because it used to be about religion and we're the good guys versus the bad guys, but that's, civilizing. That, that's very blood now. That's no. very much. It like, doesn't exist. I don't think it ever existed. I think we, nah, you know, outside of World War Two. You know what I mean? Like even World War One, that's looked back at as the Great War, was still it was like family feuds, monarchies arguing with yeah. each other. Uh, you know cousins. what I mean? Like it was completely avoidable and fucking pointless. You uh -huh. know what I mean? Like, um, and I think like when, when we talk about World War Two, one of the big misconceptions is is that we went out to you know stifle evil, and it's like no, really true. But mm. What happened was is that he crossed a line. They were willing to let Hitler do what the fuck he liked in so Germany. Long as, they stayed out everybody as long as he stayed empires. out his lane. And what mm. happened was is that he stepped out his lane. He got delusions of grandeur, stepped out his lane, and so they put him back in his fucking place. It had nothing to do with good versus evil. In fact, the active monarch in this country was a fucking Nazi. <laughs> and Churchill has been quoted in saying that he admired Hitler and what he achieved in Germany economically Aye. and stuff. So it wasn't about good versus evil. That's how the like, nice wee puppet like makers try and come up with these marketing ways of I think in hindsight we can you know? see that there was a, a moral imperative to stop for like sure. Holocaust oh, and stuff like sure. that but aye, aye when it kicked off it was about he was now starting to risk encroaching on other people's empires and that's aye, what, we, we did a full episode on Churchill where we looked at in detail we, and you know a qualified academic that you know Churchill was about defending he was trying to fight wars on you know, Southeast Asia when, you know, people were wanting the D-Day landings and stuff like that. Like, he was very much about protecting the interests of the British Empire. And I think, to a large extent, they all were in that one. Yeah, um, yeah, but again, with hindsight, we can see that it was moral. There was a moral imperative to do it. But again, I, I can't think of too many other, you know, like... The rebellion in the empire in the star wars movies is about probably the, like the best example i've got of like an actual just war because you're just like they don't they don't really exist you know what i mean uh -huh. like, um no no in actual reality anyway um bye so that's one of the rabbit holes that i've been doing while i've been kind of like building back up and trying to sort of put the pieces back together uh so i, I don't know if like thinking about semi-conscious you know, robots controlled by brain chips was necessarily the best thing to get into whilst I was like feeling not like shit. Really um, so I did not help with like my ominous feelings of like impending doom, you know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, the science is fucking incredible. Uh -huh. Like, so it is like the actual Absolutely. capability of this shit that is up until the last five years, like pure sci fi, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is, is now like frighteningly close to reality well i mean you know if I mean? we keep on that sort of chain of thought and we talk about the pill and all the official shit that's been coming out in america about like this unidentified flying object they don't call it ufo anymore but they all oh, right they, aye. they call it um let me let me find out because I'm with you. the change aye. the change in language is fucking hilarious it's just to like actually the pot has been like boiling on that one pretty I think like increasingly in recent years you know what i mean like it does seem like but then I, I don't know man i think as well my cynical mind goes to like just 
the military industrial like posturing because you know as you say they they want excuses to build and sell new tech and and you know what could be more convincing than a campaign for the you know the air force and so, the military that says there's shit in our skies that we don't understand and we don't know you absolutely know what I mean? like, they're calling it unexplained aerial phenomena right right so I've this heard is that term before this is what, the, what they've changed it to and, and try to make it sound more like legit I than mean, ufo i think like you're like you're saying the sort of cynicism starts to creep in um because the, there's a guy out there that basically has explained exactly what this is and he did it in like 1978 and he got called a fucking nutcase and like get pursued by the american government but like this is basically like the the, I, the manifestation of like bob lazar's whole sort of narrative and I, you know, they're still reading his house like fucking 30 40 50 years later mm-hmm. or whatever it is so bob lazar's thing is that i suppose that, that we'll, we'll get our opinion on it is is that they found it and they reversed engineered it because yeah. he was he was actually part of that that's what he thinks i don't know what i believe about that i mm. don't know how believable that is is bob lazar some sort of like cia plant like i i don't even know i mean he's done so many he's done rogan and stuff like that but i i think that this is science suppression or technology suppression where Aye. they've had this technology since then mm-hmm. and they just don't know how to put it out and now what they're doing is, is they're drip feeding it out and it's some sort of like advanced military equipment that they basically just can't say that they've got i mean that's, and that's the kind of like occam's razor type thing where you know i the closest so i've also been watching loads of physics shit. <laughs> right, okay. and like you know the closest other star system is is like you know so far away that other civilizations would need to be so far more advanced than us to have crash landed in the 60s or 70s or whenever was roswell what 40 something 47 but it was when they were doing the um, testing of the, the atomic bombs so right it was uh, just before the end of the second world War. Aye, and they think that there's the the whole sort of zoo theory where somebody's coming down and being like oh what the fuck are you then you know what i mean mm-hmm. as if you know nuclear capability is some sort of benchmark for I don't know, observation for somewhere else. Um, I think it's more likely that there is some really fucking wild shit going on out there in, like, theoretical science, and there always has been some wild ideas, and I think maybe there's just a chance that somebody somewhere accidentally, like, tripped over one of these wild ideas for, you know, non, you know, combustible propulsion or whatever it is, and they've spent the last 60 years trying to make it work properly, you know what I mean, like where Mm. somebody's had a really out there left field scientific idea and when they've tried to make it a practical reality, they had some success that has taken them time to like hone in. But again, I think that these phenomena are explained by shit that aye, governments are doing somewhere whether it's the american government or whoever i don't know who knows uh, i think if it wasn't uh, the americans they wouldn't be releasing the stuff out if it was the russians or the chinese that were fucking flying these mm-hmm. non-combustible like wild technology over aye. america because it's american navy people that have seen it all that, that have been documenting it yep. and that's the other thing that sort of makes me question it is like why would they why would they test it in airspace where they know that fucking f 16s or whatever are flying about like Aye. that's where you start to go oh what is this like, what I, like logically it must be 
that I, if they're not actively trying to shoot their shit down, it's because somebody somewhere knows it's theirs. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? But Literally. that, again, to me, I mean, where are we going with this? Like, that, these, this thing's apparently <sighs> travelling at, like, fucking 25,000 miles an hour and shit. Like, dropping from fucking 10,000 feet to three feet in, like, a second. Aye. And stopping. But, Underwater and, and all these things as well. Yeah, man. I've seen like, all sorts of reports. I, I think it's really interesting in the sense that these official channels are now starting to have like public conversations about it. Um, it's one of the things that's been out in the ether for, as we say, you know, more than half a century. Um, but to actually hear these conversations happening in like official channels is definitely the interesting part for me because it, it does feel as though the scene is trying to be set for something. Something. Because well, this is it, isn't I, it? if it's yours and you, you, why would you? Uh, you would maybe want to give other countries a flash yet. I mean, obviously, a, a number of years ago, Israel, when they, you know, wanted the world to know they had the atomic bomb, but didn't want to take any credit for it. There was a mysterious nuclear explosion out in some sea somewhere that everybody on the face of the planet knew was Israel, but Israel were like, it's not us. You know I mean, we don't have nuclear weapons. Wink, wink. <laughs> like, we don't have nuclear weapons. And like every other nuclear power was like, well, we have protocols in place where we all know it wasn't any of the rest of us. Uh, you know really, what I mean? Like, Israel, Israel were sitting at the table and the rest of the world were looking at them and going was that you and they were like no and looking at palestine giving them a wee wink and just Aye. being like you're fucking for it pal like so fucking trying there is instances where you want the enemy to have a glimpse of this Aye. wondrous technology that you have and they don't so there, there might be like a level of that involved in it but i am very much in the like terrestrial technology that the general population has no uh-huh. meaningful well, understanding of. There's some fucking crazy shit about, like, since Reagan, the Americans have been investing trillions mm-hmm. in, like, fucking technology to try and, like, basically own space. They, 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 they think that the, the country that owns space is going to basically just rule the planet. So, Absolutely. I mean, that's been in place and they've got fucking lasers and all that up there like it's supposed Aye. to be all sorts of mad crazy shit up on the satellites well i mean this shit, is so. what this space force is i know we joked about space force under the, the sort of trump administration um because you know everything that they did was in some way hilarious or just horrible uh, and like we kind of always sneered a wee bit at like the space force mm-hmm. you know and obviously you've had the thing with steve carell where they take the piss out it and stuff like that as well but um it become a bit of a joke, but the actual theory behind it is, like you say, years in the making, um, where it's about infrastructure. So it's about communications, it's about GPS, it's about, you know, as you say, all the various bits and bobs of hardware that's up there being protected and no having China get a satellite close enough to hack one of their satellites and interrupt communications or feed, as you say, misinformation or whatever it is down the, down the tubes. Um, so there is like a legit actual like reason reason for uh-huh. the conversation to be happening like you know all the fucking su- uniforms and badges and everything, all that nonsense that happened when trump was just branding which is uh-huh. what uh-huh. which is what trump does anyway uh-huh. is he brands shit has and you know his image or whatever but i think the air force had largely been doing a lot of this stuff already anyway um, or their Air Force Space Corps, whatever the fuck they were called. Aye, for sure, um, man. I mean, so all that's, that's where all the astronauts came for, they all came for the Air Force, didn't they? Because, aye, because um, they're the only ones capable of handling the sort of physical demands there, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but aye, this was all in place until Trump came in and was like, Space Force. You know what I mean? But there is an actual like, grown-up reason for it. I think Space Force was just something that was just in the pipeline that he had to just put out, you know? Aye. I don't think there was anything kind, kind of stopping that, you know? But it, what do you think, right? Because... 
I'm, I, see as I'm getting older, I'm starting to think that one world government's kind of like an inevitability and that, um, so all that sort of like fight against that is like, well, what are we fighting against? Mm. You know, we're all human beings. Why would we not want to be connected? And we live in a global world anyway, but based on the coronavirus shit, right? I don't know if people are ready to know it all. There's part of me is kind of like, they should be telling us everything that's going on. Why are they no fuck it? It's, it's taxpayer money that funds all this shit. Why yeah. are the privileged few privy to the information and the technology and what, what are the actual capabilities that exist in the world? But then there's a part of me just on the history of the last 18 months, which is like, we are clearly not capable of dealing with that amount of fucking information because yeah. this is clearly real. It's clearly killing hundreds of thousands of folk, and yet people are still being like, well, I don't know anybody that's died it, and so it's no real, like, yeah. circumstantial shit. So if they were to come out and go, oh, listen, guys, look, sorry. See, since the 70s, we've had this fucking type of engine that it's non-combustible, you know, whatever, not, no electric, nothing actually is pulling or pushing. It Aye. just moves, and it can just shift and, like, people would just be like, what, you know, I think people would actually like just need to wear nappies. It's the one that if they came and went, we accidentally invented this 40 years ago and we've spent the last four decades trying to make it work properly and knew it does, the instant reaction would be fucking, oh, there's aliens and blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. like, so I don't think if there was a legit answer for that, that anybody would ever believe it. And I think, again, as we'll go into probably in the, in the coming weeks with the disinformation episode, obviously coronavirus disinformation is going to be, you know, one of the things we absolutely touch on during that conversation. But information has always been dangerous. Like um, one of the examples in the lecture was like, fake news is not a new thing. Like the term disinformation was coined by Stalin, you know what I mean, disinformatia. But then he actually like promoted or used an example where it was a ancient Egyptian warlord or, you know, king or whatever, you know, what, what do they call them? Pharaohs. Pharaohs, that's the word I was looking for there. Um, and this guy marched to, you know, the border of what is now Israel and Palestine and you know, was like, this is my noon. They were like, is it fuck? And whatever that country was called at that point in time, pushed him back and kicked his ass. Right. But in his tomb, in his, you know, big fucking swanky tomb, they found like 3,000 years later, you know, the story of him basically single-handedly winning this battle. So this guy knew that as a pharaoh, like somebody at some point in the future would find or be aware of his tomb right. and put this story up on the wall about how his men get beat back and it was basically him who got back in and like drove the men forward and took the head of the other and the guy got his ass kicked and like right. chased all the way straight back to fucking Egypt you know what right, I mean? okay. it was a route in the history books but this guy was like, no, history is going to remember me, so history is going to have to remember this story the way right, I tell so it as like well. Egypt's been like fucking North Korea. It's like, you know, aye. we won the World Cup and oh, <laughs> we've went to Mars. And, so aye, aye. it's 3,000 okay. years plus, you know what I mean? So I'd, I'd imagine that whilst, you know, for as long as humans have been able to communicate with each other, there's been people trying to like fucking send mixed signals, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, I mean... And I'll and I'll, I'll caveat this with saying you know I don't know how exactly true this is, but apparently, like the the British Crown lost a lot of its power because 
like the Rothschild family came back and told them that Napoleon had beat Wellington at Waterloo and basically like your your land's worthless but listen what we'll do is, is we'll take it off your hands for like a cut price okay and we'll deal with the French when they get here and all the British monarchs and lords went oh great and then the word get back two days later we won and it's in the, and they were just sitting there going I but we we own all that land by the way and, right. and that's how the Rothschilds really got a real stronghold okay. on what like Europe was Aye. through this disinformation, like so it can be very no, it can be, just be very dangerous, isn't it? Like if information no, are also you know I mean? somebody who are like subject to loads of probably disinformation. So I, I, anytime I hear Ent Rothschild, I just switch like off a wee bit. No, I, I, course, I just kind of like take too. it with that sort of pinch of salt because there's real subtleties to the disinformation about them that is very anti-Semitic and stuff like that, that I'm just really let's, careful, let, like, let's engaging have a, in. Let's have a, a, a wee Google at that and see if there's anything that comes up that isn't, you know, like, rightwing.com. <laughs> and, um, but I've, I'm sure when, I'm sure when I, uh, where I heard this, uh, Waterloo, it was, it wasn't anything particularly like... Well, I mean, there's th thousands of examples. There was the, Aye, the, there the guy go. on D-Day. It's, it's, it's on Wikipedia, so it's true. You right. know. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the fellow on D-Day uh, in Portugal, you know, a Nazi officer in Portugal who was actually like a British double agent and whilst, you know, landing vessels were landing at, you know, Normandy, he was feeding information to the Nazis that um, the Brits were coming through Portugal via North Africa and bought like two days. So, I mean, the reason that, you know, the D-Day landings were as successful as, you know, getting the Allies a foothold in France was because some guy in Portugal was feeding the Nazis a whole pile of bullshit. Right. So, it was, so it's, it's an active thing that is now... Oh, but this is why I want to get into it the new, and I think we've also had like the SNP release a report on it in the last week or so, which we'll obviously need to have a look at before um, we speak to the, the the lads that are coming in. Um, but it's very much a military thing that we thought about. Um, obviously, Stalin and the KGB and these guys changed that in the fifties and sixties, and really used it to like where the, the early incarnation of where we are now, that divide and conquer that we talk about, where mm. they take wedge issues and use them to like explored gaps in populations and this is now a governmental tactic where Matt Hancock can tell us that there was an APP shortage and look you straight down the face in the, in the camera and it's a military and overtly military tactic that is now being weaponized against the general public uh -huh. and it's not just being weaponized against the general public by what sort of quote-unquote enemies it's being weaponized against us by our own fucking government you know what I mean mm -hmm. and or the talking heads and all the pundits and all the, you know, friendly columnists and journalists and, you know, who just amplify this fucking bullshit that is allowing absolute, you know, as Hancock, what was he called? A fucking idiot? What was it? The, the, the coming shit? He was like, he's a halfwit or something like that. Who said that? This Cummings has released text messages with Johnson talking oh, about yeah, Hancock. I, I, called a, I called him a halfwit and he said that that was stress that caused I, him to call you an idiot. It's like, no, maybe he thinks, maybe, maybe Boris Johnson isn't quite as much an idiot as what we think he is and he can see, or either that or you know your own. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I mean, these guys can't even go on with each other long enough, uh -huh. but they're weaponizing this constant sort of culture war tactic to provide cover. Everybody's sitting fucking arguing about how some 
fucking Oxford Uni took down a picture of the Queen. Like, who gives a fuck? Like, mm. honesty fuck? Who cares? You know what I mean? Like, two days worth of fucking conversation if you're on social media, uh-huh. which is why in the last fortnight I run a lot of our social media and I've, done, mm. I've not been on social lot. media because I could handle semi-conscious robots, but I just couldn't handle fucking Twitter. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so... Um, but aye, this is, this is stuff that, that it's re- churning us. It's keeping us in a constant, in a, a place of constant discomfort, a constant motion, and it's and it's deliberate. And now we need to get to a point where we can actually educate people. So there's, you know, obviously the Greens talked about um, media literacy for young kids. It's something that happens in a number of Scandinavian countries, and we need to start to like. I remember in school where I was taught to like think about whether or not a source was credible, uh, how to, you know, look at publications and all these other, and I remember, like, this was something that was important that we had today. Um, I don't know if that's maybe no longer the case in schools or what, I don't know, or if that's mm. been the case for a while, but it feels like it's something that we need to, in the modern world, have maybe a grip on, like, we need to have a better grip on what people are doing with for our sure, data mate. and all these things. You I, know had a, I, mean? I had a, a, a prime example of this, a real example of this the other night, where... Sharon was sitting raging about something and I was like, what is it? And she ranted about this thing. And I was like, well, is it real? And she was like, she showed me it and I was like, that's a screenshot. Like, go and Google that. Is that real? Googled it. It's not real. And I was like, you need to do this. I was like, see, there needs to be this sort of new, this sort of buffer that comes in place before you start getting angry about shit, Mm -hmm. where you actually take 10, 15, I mean, it literally took her 30 seconds. That's not, that's not digging my bird. Absolutely not. But just this new way of being, that you kind of need to go away a minute. It's designed to get that reaction from her. Uh That content is designed and deliberately put out there to cause that visceral, you know what I mean? Uh So you just take that step back. And just look at it and go, right, how real is this? Yeah. And you, you find out that it's a load of shite. And you're I like, oh, common, great. What, what we have in common as human beings is being exploited for likes, for clicks, for uh-huh. whatever it is. Um, so I I think that's definitely something that we need to be more conscious in addressing. I think among some of the other, you know, sort of technical stuff that we've been talking about, you know, technology-based stuff, like, mm-hmm. it's very sort of pertinent now. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Well, what, 24 hours after fucking Scotland getting put out of the Euros. So I think Aye. maybe have a wee a wee chat about how we how we felt it went. I mean Aye. I, I kinda I'll I'll be honest, right? I've only really supported the Scottish national team since twenty fourteen. I think there was actually I was quite surprised to find out that there's quite a lot of other Celtic supporters predominantly okay. that made that shift during the independence referendum. It's like Aye. your politics changed probably Stratton being in charge didn't hurt either. Might, might be that. You know what I mean? Might Especially when he started picking Celtic players. <laughs> <laughs> but um I, absolutely i mean the uh the, the the thing that put me off you know just to i'd seen a couple of people sort of going about like celtic supporters supporting the nsfa corruption and all this sort of stuff the thing that really put me off it was i went to a scotland game in 20 2009 and barry robson was getting called all the fenian bastards under the sun when he came yeah. off the bench by the, the tartan army and i yep. just thought okay Right, it was clearly not for me, you know, like, this isn't what I want. And also, I went to sit in my seat and there was a guy there that was basically like, I'm a member of the Tartan Army, you can go and just find another fucking seat at a sold-out game. And I think I was, there was about fucking 40 of them standing there, you know, like me and my mate just went, right, well, we'll just go. We stood at the back. wasn't a great experience, but, you know, started following them again, you know, started to get a wee bit more patriotic after post-2014. And then... I was quite disheartened with the amount of people that seemed disappointed. We, I thought 
I mean, we only scored one goal in that, right? But listen, this is the first time we've been at a major tournament since 1998, right? Yeah. And to expect some sort of positive, like, qualification into the next round. Now, I know that it was kind of, like, on the cards, mm -hmm. but there was a video of a guy doing it the fan zone booting fuck at a table. It's like, <laughs> mate, like... That was hilarious. It, the moment well, after the... He, he tried to... I <laughs> tried to must die. It, but, but it's kind of like, look, how... Can, can we not just be, like, happy that we got there? Happy that we performed to a certain level. Yeah. It looks like we'll get we've get the startings of a really, really good football team in a national sense. And let's not get upset and angry. Now I understand if people are like, oh, I'm a bit disappointed. I was disappointed last night as well. Yeah. But we clearly get beat by the better team. Oof. I mean that doubt. second half, they, they fucking Aye, there's a reason they're World Cup finalists. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like... And in perspective on the fact that World Cup finalists and stuff, and I just felt really sort of like, come on guys, like, can we not just be like, right, star let's is qualify for this fucking World Cup and let, we made a good show on ourselves, Aye. we weren't embarrassed, we got a draw at England at Wembley, which is a tough ask, and we just fell short of potentially giving ourselves a chance of qualifying, you know? I think it's, a, it's definitely a learning experience, I think it's going to be a learning experience for the fans, it's going to be a learning experience for the players, and I hope, I hope that it's a learning experience for the manager as well, um, because I think... It was great to get there, loads of emotion, you know, um, particularly in the playoffs, like you and I both sort of vaguely knew Davy Marshall growing up, so having him, having him getting that Vaguely moment. knew, Matt, I kept him out of the primary fucking school football team, I think. I, I stayed have, across you know? the street from him, but at the same time, I, I wouldn't, we've not had contact in 20 years, so I, it wouldn't be fair to say, I we don't know him, we grew up running about him and, and knew the family and that. Um, so I was really pleased for him to get those moments with the penalty saves and the playoffs and that because I know he's had uh, rough patches with Scotland, particularly in the early days where he, he couldn't buy a clean sheet with Scotland for loving their money. But mm. it was a, as much about the defence in front of him as it was ending today with him. Um, but I, the fact that he's now getting to the later stages of his career where he's actually established himself as a bit of kind of like Scotland legend and the, the conversations about how to be replaced David Marshall. I'm, I'm really pleased for him in that sense. On uh, a personal level. Um, and especially you see a guy that literally lived across the street for you, went to Bayfour schools. You want to take it? No. no. Went to, went to Bayfour primary and secondary school and like you're saying, I mean, I, I couldn't be proud of the guy. Really, Aye, definitely. Know? He's Fucking definitely incredible. had a cracking club career and, you know, been around the block and stuff like Did that. Did I mention but... I kept him at the primary school football team? <laughs> um, only every time we ever have a conversation <laughs> about the lad. <laughs> uh, the lad, he's like I think 37 he, I think or he was something. Only once, but, Aye. I, you know, claim to fame. Um, the rest of the squad, I mean, London Dykes and Shea Adams seem as though, you know, in the qualifying rounds and the Nations League that they're of a, a competent level to contribute. Um, but I think when you get to tournament football, we probably need a wee bit more quality in the mm. front third. And I don't know where we're finding that right now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Chatterley Griffiths was a bit laughable for me. A guy can't get yourself fit in a year Aye. for Celtic. He has knee right. It's a, real shame. It's, a, it's a real shame. I watched him on open goal and... They asked him, you know, did you expect? And he was like, no. You know, he was like, obviously, there's that wee tinge of hope and, and you're disappointed when you get that phone yeah. call. Just the actual fact that he got the phone call for the Scottish National representative to tell him that was in the squad tells you that he was in the running. Like, Aye. In, in one way, shape and or form. He, but see, for that if guy... If he can get himself fit, he's welcome back. He's, he's one of the most naturally talented goal scorers him, I think we have in the I country. Think, I think we really missed him. You know I what mean? He, he would have been a fit Lee Griffiths. Um, would they kind of get a, through 90 minutes, he's no good to us. He would have been a real asset to that squad. He would have been what I feel is kind of 
like really missing, mm-hmm. like really like you're saying, an actual like, finisher. And I and I think like watching my personal opinion on it was is that Lyndon Dykes did his job perfectly. Oh, aye. And Shea Adams, like you said, just falls short. And he's young, I think. He he's is. a young guy, so he, he can develop. You know, Definitely. it's no saying no writing the guy off, but Not at all. I'm I'm with you. I think. If we had a natural goal scorer with the amount of chances that we got in that first game, especially against the Czechs, I, I reckon we would have scored. And I think if we'd have scored in that game at the right time, and not to say that that would have happened, it could have changed the oh, course. Aye. And I think that was the crucial game. Definitely. I think, like you're saying, the learning the learning uh, thing for Steve Clark is, is that his team selection in the first game was appallingly bad. His tactics last night were all rang as well. And I think the substitutions last night, I mean, that game was crying out for James Forrest. Definitely. I was sitting with Richie I mean, and I was like, James Forrest, Stephen O'Donnell, like, just make that right now, like, the sort of 60 minute mark. Yep. Uh, and they had um, with Stephen O'Donnell, like, he wasn't great against the Czech Republic, but there was a number of players that were in that ballpark. I think we were set up tactically incorrect. I think we're, you know, first home game, you know, in whatever, 28 years or however the fuck long it was. It's one of them where you're like, I'd have liked to have seen us being a wee bit more adventurous. Now, I know, like, Clark historically has very much been like, make my team very hard to beat, first of all. Like, uh-huh. so I know, like, that's what he does, right? Fair play. But when you get three games to make history and two of them are at Hamden, like, playing five at the back and sitting and waiting for breaks and, you know, putting balls to dykes and fair play to him. I mean, I think they said last night he'd won an average of, like, 22 headers a game and the closest person to him was, like, 12 and a half or something in the stats. So, I mean, right. like, in the air, the guy, like you say, he did his job very, very well. Um, But we just need a bit more than that. And there was players, like, we look at... Christie, who's not had a great season, but has been good for Scotland. Fraser, again, has had injury issues like Forrest. But again, when they've turned out for Scotland, they've taken chances and scored like big goals. To have not seen any of those players in the last two games particularly was baffling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, where you're looking for width, you're looking for you know quality in that sort of final third. And you've got three at least Premier League quality players sitting on the bench who are all capable of goals, are all capable of creating, just, you know, sitting there twiddling their thumbs and then we're bringing defenders on when we're 3-1 down and stuff like that. And you're mm. just like pure, the fuck is happening here? You know what Absolutely. I mean? Like, so I, mean, I, I think Clark needs to be more flexible mm-hmm. because after the Czech game, he came out and was full-throated in his defence of Stephen O'Donnell, which I get, they worked together at Kilmarnock, he's his guy, like... I don't have any issue with him coming out because him coming out and being like, no, he's a talking shit about O'Donnell, you don't have a clue, brought out probably one of the performances of the guy's lifetime at Wembley. Like, Absolutely. So managerially, like it's man phenomenal. management aye, aye. wise, it was a great move. Just tactically. But like, fair enough, he's got that one. Everybody had to eat their words that night. But he gets stubborn and he picked him again against Croatia when, as you say, maybe... Or even going with like a back four where Donald's a mere defensive minded mm-hmm. and allowing you to bring a Forrest or a Fraser Absolutely. or a Christie or somebody in to give that bit of forward width and still maintain a bit of defensive stability. Yeah. I think would have been mere, but he'd he dug in. He'd made the point that Adonal was his guy and that he believed in him and all blah, blah. And and you're like, you need to be more flexible. You mm-hmm. cannot have this mindset where you are everything is set in stone and it's gonna be your way because you can't qualify for major tournament later stages by just not getting beat. Aye. It didn't seem like to me the last night that he had a game plan for going behind like that either. It kind of felt like when when we went behind 3-1, 2-1, 3-1, that he kind of just threw 
just just well, just threw some people on, you know. Mm-hmm. Didn't they feel like it, there was like a cohesive plan? And, and I'm with you. I think it, it kind of, as much as the guy's an absolute fucking legend forevermore, and his job I, should not be in question. No, people one, asking for him to walk need to take a serious look ridiculous. at themselves. Scotland are in a position just now where who else, man? The you Nations know? League has allowed us back into major tournaments, but it's also put us alongside the likes of Finland and North Macedonia. So we need to have a bit of a reality check in that respect, um, where aye, it's great to be back and we can build and we have potential. We have two thirds of a great team. Some of the older guys maybe need to move on. And But is there younger guys there to replace them? I don't know is the answer right now. Um, but aye, it's one of them where if you're asking for Steve Clark to go, it would be like somebody asking for like Callum Davidson's he at St. Johnson, you know what I mean, where he's come in in his first year and won two cups and they're like, aye, but he didn't win the league, so get him to fuck, aye. you know what I mean, like, that's, I try to make a club comparison with where Cork is well, now, like your team making a cup final for the first time in 30 years and then sacking the manager because he didn't win the this cup final, you know what I mean? The thing what? that I started off with is that the, the Scotland fans that, but you know, own my Twitter feed as much as people might want to be like, Twitter's no real. It's like, well, it is. Like, <laughs> it really is. Um, it, they were, they seemed not just disappointed, which is all right, you know, like you can get your hopes up, but actually angry and, and t- shit like that. Colin for a manager said when it's been fucking 98, you know. He's the most successful manager in two generations. Stratton, <laughs> you know I mean? <clears throat> Stratton couldn't do it. McLeish couldn't do it. Like, so the chat we had in the group chat last night was that. I think those managers could have done it had the Nations League been an actual option at that time. Right. Because I think Strachan and Eck came very, very close. Very close. Uh, especially Alex And I think those teams, aye, it, it took like a pure what, last 10 minute goal against Italy to stop us, you know, when McLeish. Yeah, we get cheated out uh, of qualification with McLeish almost uh, with that fucking penalty. And then Strachan, had they actually picked Celtic players for the start of the campaign rather than halfway through when everybody was ready to crucify him? I think Strachan's team. You know, especially if Nations League had been available to them, would have Aye, definitely found a way. Close, um, so the, the, the landscape has changed and it is easier to qualify now. Mm. Or there's more wiggle room for how you get there. Um, but at the same time, I the hypothetical we were having in the group chat last night was, would Strachan and McLeish have made it had the Nations League been Aye, there? And I think, I think they, they would have. have. But I think again, it's a real shame that... But I was talking to, to Richie about this last night. I think Kieran Tierney's the best player on that team. Like uh, Andy Robertson for me is a bit of a uh, what's his face that used to play for Man United that played for Scotland? Fletcher. Uh-huh. I like Darren Fletcher, where if you put him in a team with other amazing players, he'll be amazing and he'll be mm. I mean, for Liverpool, Andy Robertson, Liverpool's Andy Robertson's an incredible player, but last night and against the Czechs, he was fucking anonymous, man. And Kieran Tierney is the... See, when he plays, and you can see it, he changes as soon as that... The difference in the team when he comes in. He's a real driving force. Um, and as an attacking entity, I feel like he's just better. Like, for the Klopp gets... Andy Klopp gets the, the best, very best out, the very best of Andy Robertson, and Andy Robertson fits into that that system at Liverpool like a fucking like a, a jigsaw piece. Ah, he's also playing with like three, uh, probably the top ten strikers in For the world. Sure. You know but what I mean? Kieran like, Tierney, I, I think he's wasted at that left centre back. I don't position. know. He's this is the thing that when I said that last night, they were like, "Whoa!" But 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 I'm like, "No, don't get." He's world class in that position as well. But in that Scotland team, I think he would be better in the attacking position yeah. to really try and get as a goal. 
but the problem is is that Robertson can't play that left centre back he's not as versatile as no. Tierney and I think that's a real fucking shame I think, they were, building shame. An, I think they were building a nice rapport on the left side prior to uh, Tierney's injury especially in some of the build up matches you know you're getting like overlapping centre backs and stuff like that which is just you know like pure Brazilian-esque you know what I mean like but um, I don't know like I've been very much like I appreciate Andy Robertson as a player um, I think in the first 20 to 30 minutes against uh, the Czech Republic, I think he was absolutely dynamite myself. I think he was a real driving force in that early hang me, but I think when we lost the goal, the entire team just deflated, mm. uh, and Andy included. But it was the captaincy that was the issue for me with Robertson, because I look at somebody like John McGinn and that drive, that just determination in the middle of the park to just put his body on the line and just really like lead for the front that when that decision was made I personally was like mm, it would have been John McGinn for me just as a personal right. opinion uh -huh. but throughout the course of the tournament I've actually like listened to a lot of Andy Robertson's interviews um, seen a lot of him in the press and online and stuff like that post-match and, and so on and so forth and I think he carried himself as a captain really well I've actually changed captain. my mind where Aye, there's questions about Tierney and, Ro and Robertson. I think it can work. I think it has worked. And I think as the years progress, you're probably going to see a really fucking amazing partnership with the two of them. Mm -hmm. um, but aye, my doubt was with his leadership qualities. Um, but after the tournament and how eloquently he's spoken and how inclusive he's been of the team and you know all that kind of stuff, like, I've actually really kind of been like, okay, you forget as a football fan that you only see what's happening on the pitch. Absolutely. You don't aye, see aye. what's happening in the dressing room, you don't Absolutely. see what's happening in the training aye. camp. You know and what I mean? Apparently like, Andy Robertson's the pure talisman in the dressing room and he's behind all the, the sort of coming together that we've seen. So you only see that on the pitch. And that's when mm -hmm. I was saying about McGinn, you know, chipping in my goals. And I was like, I was just basing it on what I'm saying on the park. Aye, you know what I mean? for like, sure. But I think we, we can't mention the Euros <clears throat> and no mention Billy Gilmore because like, see last night, that midfield three, I mean, first of all, again, if we're going back to tactics, why the fuck is Stuart Armstrong playing as a number eight for me? That's that's wild. Because any time that guy's been getting played out of position for Southampton, for Celtic, as he did constantly yeah. under like, Dyla. Like, Aye, out in wide areas just, and stuff He just like doesn't perform. He's, he's, he, again, I think, like, going back to the sort of London Dykes, Stuart Armstrong is very, very good. I wouldn't go so far to say world class, but he's very, very good at a specific role in a team. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't fit, if you can't fit him in like that, you shouldn't play shouldn't him. Shouldn't play him. Because he's, he's, he's a missing jersey sometimes yeah. in these different positions. But tell you the one thing that was missing for me last night, and, and you touched on it because we ended up going long because of it, is that Billy Gilmore was really the link between the central defence and Carl McGregor and John McGinn. So yeah. he was the one that was going back and being like, give me the ball. Yep. And under pressure. So that that's that's the hardest. Scott Brown did it as Celtic yeah. under, under Rodgers. Well, aye. he would be the one to take, find the pass. Aye, aye. to take the responsibility of taking the ball. And he's got two or three players running about him, turning and finding the pass or maybe even just shifting out wide. But I feel like that was really missing. And, and that's what Billy Gilmore did like phenomenally at Wembley. But... I mean, other than than that, and uh, I mean, how does a fucking what age is that guy? I think like eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Have, I mean, in that see, when I was, <laughs> see when I was that age, man, I was like a fucking like a Wayne. Aye. And that that guy, pretty much was like the maestro at, at Wembley. I think he, he get man of the match, deserved it. Oh, aye. Um, was I think he was the best player on the park, 
And it, it just blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind that a guy, 18, 19 year old, can go there and have that confidence under that pressure. But not even just to, to win man in a match, whatever, but in that role. That, yeah. that sort of like sort of linchpin role right in the middle of the park that goes to the three centre horse, like give me the ball, gives them that good ball and then dictates where, where the play's gonna no, go. No, he's for clearly gonna be a quality player. Um I'm I'm pleased for him. Obviously he, he moved down south at a very young age. And you know, questions were asked about how much game time he was going to get, and I think those, those questions have been pretty emphatically answered. I mean, I think Chelsea's transfer ban was probably like a real blessing for him because there was a year under Lampard where they couldn't buy any players, so you know they had to work with but Gilmore and Abrams and you know Mason Mount and all these guys that maybe maybe no have got a sniff had Chelsea been able to still throw two three hundred million quid about in the summer you know what mm-hmm. I mean like, um, so I think maybe there's also a kind of confluence of events as well you know what I mean I think we need to be careful now um, Scottish football well I mean every football goes daft for a wonder kid you know what I mean everybody we've had it from McGee to Fleck and you know so on and so forth and like I think we need to be careful of the expectation we put on the boy because he's clearly benefited for going down to London and actually playing at a really high level at a very mm-hmm. young age and I think that shows in Wembley because Chelsea are there regularly for League Cups and FA Cups and you know so on and so forth like, it's an environment where you know he was familiar and I think all of that's played a you know a part amongst all the other sort of myriad of factors but right now you need to understand that Chelsea can spend money again and are throwing a bit on Havertz and well this is you know the, what I mean? this was like, going to be my next question is is that where do we see his club career actually progressing because that, that's exactly what I was thinking is as their transfer ban comes up they're going to throw money they're going to try and win well, the they've already next year. spent hundreds of millions this year right you know and, I mean? and, like, and you know we look at Man City putting in a hundred million bid for for Bay- for Kane, Kane. you know, Chelsea are going to buy it as well. Like they, they do every summer when, when they can. And I would like to see him go somewhere where he could actually develop. I don't think he should leave the Premier League, but I would quite like to see him go I think somewhere. I probably see somewhere like a loan or whatever, maybe depending mm-hmm. on who they sign. But it's no, it's clearly no hurting them being about the squad and no playing as regular like, as you might I'd like. like him to you know what I mean? Think I would of some like of the him to be in the same that... squad as McGinn and play with McGinn regularly. Aye, well, that would be nice. I was saying that last night. Like, if if somebody was to go, well, he can go anywhere. Where would you want him to go? Send him to Villa and clearly get to play with somebody that could help him. You know, there's maybe a couple of years ahead of him. And aye, um, can you imagine that? Like. Tuchel's priority is Scotland's central midfield like partnership. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it'd be nice if it was, um, but uh, who knows? Uh, you would say that's the logical. I don't think he's going to leave Chelsea. There is he is clearly a rising star, um, but depending on who they sign, it might be prudent for him to go and actually, as you say, get first team experience more regularly in the Premier League, and then go back and you know sort of fight for his place because I don't think they've invested the time and energy in him. Uh, and when you see obviously you know guys like Mount and Chilwell having to you know isolate because after the match they were you know socialising with Gilmore, like, he's clearly like part of that squad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think he's going to move move but I he's young enough to go and maybe pick up a year here a year there come back that's absolutely that's what I was thinking like a year's loan to Villa or something like that you know like no moving permanently but I mean um, just as we're like wrapping up um, I wanted to just sort of mention and and talk about I mean it's been an incredible like month so I on the the Euros I'm just super proud I like the way that the nation's actually conducted itself as well like Mm. for the, the scenes that we've seen in London 
um, to like you know the the fan zones and not one bit of fucking trouble and the the recent stuff the bad press that that Scottish football fans have had. I'm I'm just really proud to be the last couple of weeks. But something that's made me even more proud is that. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if if you, I know you don't keep up in UFC, but Paul Craig. Oh no, he won the other week pretty he, convincingly, he didn't he? He fucking snapped the guy's arm in an armbar, and was the the ref didn't stop the match, and he was punching the guy about the head, and the arm was flopping about. Thankfully, it was a dislocated elbow, elbow right? But the guy's arm isn't mush, you know, and and he, it looks like he's got a six week recovery, and the guy's going to be back. Good. There was like videos of him and Paul because they're in a bubble. Yeah. Like, for like whatever, him and Paul Craig having drinks after it and like hugging each other, and that. but. This guy has went for like three defeats on the bounce and people being like, his contract's at jeopardy, he's going to need to go to Bellator or whatever, take a step back, yeah. get a sports psychologist and a nutritionist in and he's now like fucking five and oh, moving into the top 10. Two male wins will be getting a title shot. Like this guy has That's turned awesome. it around. It's so good to see that the big one, fucking Tom Stokeman won World's Strongest Man yesterday. Uh, I've seen that as well. I mean, this guy's autistic, you know, like neurodivergent, Mm-hmm. All the you know doubts and w- what's he going to do and just to overcome it all. I world's strongest man is like ridiculous, mate. One of the things I remember watching many a year, like at Christmas and New Year, it used to be on, and you'd sit there like going whatever bank holiday it was, watching the world's strongest man. Like so, it's still something that I'm glad it still has like an affection in people's hearts and stuff like that because mm-hmm. that was like big news that was very sort of like massively received during the week as well like, for sure man and i so fair play to him and, it, and the team you aye, know what I mean? for like, sure i mean i think him and his brother were top 10 i mean yep. luke stokeman's like a pure trailblazer as far as like british strongman along with eddie hall like he's one of the big names as yep. much as eddie hall's maybe a celebrity you know now than, mm-hmm. than what he is doing because he's not doing strongman he's got to do one of these celebrity boxing events you know um, he's fighting the guy Thor. See the guy that played the mountain. Aye. Game of Thrones. Like they're due to fight each other. See, to be honest, mate, I've watched training videos. Eddie Hall's gonna get fucking leathered because this guy Thor can actually box. Eddie Hall looks like a fucking granny trying to box. I mean, he's oh, a big right. guy, and if I get into the ring, he would leather fuck out, mate. I'm Aye. not saying that, but see his actual movement, his his athletic ability. Imagine when you get to that size. Now. Like being up on your well, toes. If you look for at the guy Thor, it's like fucking. He must be. I don't know, like, he must have the genetics, whereas Eddie Hall's just get the, the, the pure mindset to get that big and strong. Aye. But this guy's moving really well, like, so I, don't, I, I think he might he might do him. But, I mean, there just seems to be this big wave, a sort of positivity in Scotland, and, and sports has really been, like, a big part of it. Aye. Seeing the Wains or your Facebook and your Twitter with their Scotland jerseys on and their face painted and all the rest, it was, was fun. Because... Um, like, my Alex is 17, so she's never seen, what, 23 years it was, we said them to, she's never seen Scotland, and she, she wasn't interested in watching the matches, but it's the only time she's ever come in for school or whatever it is and being like, pure, how did Scotland get on the day? Or, like, she's no interest in Celtic, doesn't ask football questions. Oh, then, are you, you going failed? to the, oh, You failed? You failed as a dad? No, like, I'm, 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 I'm making her mind up on shit. Um, but I... We did, we did take it to the football one time and she fell asleep, didn't she? And we missed That's fucking right. Henrik Larson's hat-trick, didn't we? In a That's fucking right. friendly. So that was the last time I took her. Um, cost me two Henrik goals, a bitch. Um, but anyway. Clip. No, no, it's all right. I call her a bitch all the time. No, I'm saying clip that so you can send it to her. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I, Do you remember this? I, um, but I, she was coming in and being like, how did Scotland go? Were they playing the day? Like, when is it they're playing? And, you know, these other kinds. So even for somebody like her who has no interest, it's 
permeated the the kind of ether right. for a lot of people. Which and, is important. I've seen a new generation of young Scotland fans like take up the game, take up an interest in the national team is definitely quite pleasing because, I mean, do you remember fucking France 98? Aye, where you know your mates had your Scotland jerseys, but you had your second team. And I was laughing at James Maguire last night, like 10 minutes after full time. He was doing the, the Go Radio thing um, in the, the Radisson Red. And 10 minutes after full time, he'd done a wee sort of video where it was his Scotland jersey on the table and he whipped the Scotland jersey away and there was a Germany tap <laughs> underneath yeah. it. Aye, aye. And he was pure like too soon. And I was like, I pure took me back to like sitting in Space Street, like kicking balls about with the lads, and like somebody's got a Sweden tap on, somebody's got a Germany, uh-huh. and you've all like coordinated so that you don't have the same football taps and stuff like uh-huh. that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, unless absolutely. there's an absolute stotery tap that everybody's buying. Uh, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, and uh, that was a, like a really fond place to like drift back to um, when I had that conversation, and it's nice to know that. That is happening for so many young Scottish kids Aye, out there now, sure. where or they you know, the, the letter to the first minister or whatever to go and let Wayne's watch it in school, primary school, was like a wee lovely sort of human interest thing. And it's a shame that it took a bit of a political of like, oh, is this like propaganda getting getting the TV wheel done and getting the Wayne's watching the Scotland game? And it's like, right, okay, like, hmm. no. maybe it's just the fact that we've not been there for 23 years Aye. and we want to celebrate it. But I'm with you, man, like, it, it's encouraging. And I, I hope that we can keep it up. But I think like the 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 big lesson that you know like that I think we could take as a nation, especially for like the Paul Craig and the to- the Tom Stokeman sort of story, is is that it's a mentality. Mm-hmm. It's a real mentality, and if we as a nation can have a real positive mentality, we can do whatever we like. We don't need to listen to people telling us that we can't do this and we can't, and things are impossible. Too because too poor, too stupid. Exactly, it's bullshit. It's absolute <laughs> fucking bullshit. And I thought that. That Tom Stokeman seeing the uh, seeing the images of him and just thinking, fuck me, man! Like that is literally he's the best in the world at lifting shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of minimising it slightly. Then really? St- no, fuck <laughs> man! I, I don't world's like strongest man. man sounds way better than the best in the world at lifting shit. Although I probably would like a belt with that on it. Aye, <laughs> like, aye, mate. It's been been good to get back and good to chat. It has, it has. Aye, we need to. I'm not going to be too hard on us, like, shit happens, you know what I mean, like, we, we aim for every week, um, it would be great if we could date every single time, but it's, it's, you know, sometimes it's just not going to be possible, but it's been great to get back in, um, it's been great to get, like, mind-controlled robots off my chest, mm-hmm. so it has, like, I've now let that go, that's out in the universe now, so it has, um, and I, it's been... Great fun watching the Euros. I'm going to continue on now with the rest of the tournament. I think Italy look unstoppable at this stage. I mean, France looked extremely tidy in their first game against Germany, where VAR basically ruined what would have ordinarily have been an all-time classic Euros game. You know what I mean? France had two goals chopped half that. Aye, they were, you know, they should have been chopped off, but I think pre-VAR they wouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. And you would have been looking at France 3, Germany and Ireland being like, pure, this is an all-time classic match. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that's something we need to think about with the technology side of it again, just to kind of like bring it full circle. But I think as it stands, the Italians look in just absolutely unstoppable. Aye, Mancini's and like, playing very well. Mancini man. is just my absolute fucking style icon. See, when I'm that dude's age, I want big, grey, wavy fucking hair and I might be cutting about in like tailored suits. He's just... 
he's just a he's pure cool. icon man, Aye, man. So, yeah, Aye, he's cool as fuck he's cool as fuck and it's like Man City Guardiola and Mancini they've had two of the, the sty- most stylish managers Aye. Um, and but two of them incredible at their job but mate Aye, that, that was class man 